Several years ago, my friend Glenn Snap came to me with a problem of sorts. He said, I don't know if he said I have a problem, but he looked like he had a problem, and he said, I think God may be calling me into some kind of vocational ministry. I said, great. Well, what's next? And, and uh, what was next was the Pastoral Leadership Institute that Glenn has uh, been involved with now in training. And Glenn, this morning, is going to share a message with us from God's Word. So, Glenn, come on up and share with us. Hi, Nerd Church. <laughs> Good soil. There they are. <laughs> uh, I did not have enough coffee this morning, feeling a little like death. Anybody else? Anybody else feeling a little dead this morning? Just me. Okay. Uh, nobody feeling like a zombie this morning? Has anybody, anybody here ever met an actual zombie? You laugh. Okay. Halloween's coming up, but aside from that, I'll come back to the question. You look a little confused. That's all right. Um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2 today, verses 1 through 7, which I hope, yeah, it's right up there. That's uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, and I'll read it for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest... We were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now, I'll admit that one reason I chose this passage is that it contains one of Paul's great geek-out run-on sentences. Uh, people who are smarter than me can tell you that in the original Greek, everything you just read, everything I just read to you, verses 1 through 7, is one long sentence. Uh, everything I just read, and that's not unusual for Paul. Uh, actually, even though he was one of the best and one of the best educated writers in the world at his time, uh, he sometimes just abandoned proper sentence structure and just went on and on and on. It's like he was adding commas all the time, not in Greek, but you know what I mean. He was geeking out. In fact, chapter 5 of this letter, this book to the Ephesians, may be the longest sentence in all of Greek literature in all, all time. It's the kind of run-on sentences that makes teachers go gray early. And I hear some teachers out there. <laughs> and he wasn't just writing. Uh, he was actually probably dictating to a scribe, like to his personal secretary, uh, which means that he was gushing. He was going on and on and on as though he couldn't stop about God and about his plan. I love that. I think that's great. But uh, what's the deal with his wording here at the beginning? Right at the beginning, as for you, you were dead. Isn't that a little much? I mean, 
okay, he's running off at the mouth. He's Paul. Maybe he's, he's geeking out too much, kind of losing track of what he's saying. As for you, you were dead. Uh, maybe he's indulging in some hyperbole, you know. I might have said, uh, as for you, you were doing the wrong thing. True enough, right? Um, if I were writing the letter, I might have said, you were being very naughty in your transgressions and sins. Well, that'd work. Uh, or something a little stronger, your souls were sickly because of your sins. I, I might have said that. That's pretty strong imagery. Your souls were sick, don't you think? But dead? He might as well have said, as for you, you used to be zombies. But this isn't the only time that Paul talks like this. I mean, if it was a one-time thing, you might have assumed he just, you know, he was exaggerating a little bit. Uh, He writes to Timothy, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. To the Colossian church, he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And Jesus frequently said things like, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. In the Revelation, Jesus tells an entire church, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. How would you like to hear that as a church? In fact, this is such a big theme in Scripture that uh, people have actually tried to make the case that there are actually zombies in the Bible. You can look it up online if you want to be really disturbed. Uh, (laughs) I don't recommend it, but people do. People actually, and and more than one zombie movie uh, has quoted chapter 20 of Revelation uh, as if the Bible predicts a zombie apocalypse. It's it's not true. It's weak theology, but it sounds cool to quote the Revelation in a movie, so they do it. And it's partially because there's a lot of walking death in the Bible. It's over and over. It's a theme. But wouldn't we notice if... We know the difference between live people and dead people. Wouldn't you notice? He has to be exaggerating, wouldn't you think? We know what dead people look like. They don't get up and go to work in the morning. They don't, they're not ordering a latte in the line in front of you. You know, they're not the guy sitting next to you at the red light. You hope. You sure hope that he's not dead. There's a film called Ah, Zombies. Not sort of like, ah, zombies, but more like, ah, zombies. I'm not kidding. That's really the name of it. And uh, it's told from the perspective of the living dead themselves. Early in the film, a a group of friends accidentally ingests some uh, experimental top-secret science goo. Uh, It was in the ice cream, don't ask. Um, and And they wind up dead, or undead is the term. The interesting thing is that they don't know it. Through most of the movie, they think they're perfectly fine. They look okay to each other. Everything seems normal. And as the movie progresses, the scenes that are shown from their perspective are in color. And the scenes that are shown from everybody else's perspective are in black and white. And it becomes more and more obvious to everybody in the film, except this group of dead friends, that these guys are zombies. There are strong indications. And of course, the people sitting in the seats are, going, are saying, you're dead, don't you get it? But they don't. It takes them a lot of time and a lot of evidence 
to prove to them that they're walking dead people. And maybe, like the characters in that movie, we're not seeing the whole picture. Maybe that's what's going on. See, when our earliest ancestors decided that they would far rather be their own little gods than to obey the one God, one of the many consequences of that disaster was that they, we, lost one of our senses. Divorced from God by our own rebellion, we can't see anything beyond the merely physical anymore. The much larger, the much, much larger spiritual world is hidden from us. It has been to you your entire life and everyone you've ever met. We think that all there is to living is having a pulse and firing neurons in, in your brain. Did you know that in Hebrew, uh, the word for life is also the word for spirit and for breath? It's the same word. God breathed life into mud to create humans. He breathed spirit into dirt. Parted from God, we were parted from his breath, from his spirit, from his life. What could we do but die? When I meet a man who doesn't belong to God, I still see a man. God sees a dead man who doesn't know that he's dead. Is it any wonder that he wants us so badly to come back to him? Here's an example maybe we can understand even with our limited senses. A branch cut from a tree will look like it's still alive for quite a while. You put it in some water, put the cut end in a bucket, and the leaves will stay green. Flowers will still look pretty, they'll smell nice, but it's already dead. It's been separated from the source of its life. It's just a matter of time before it withers. That takes the average American about 80 years. Remember when I asked you if you've ever met a zombie? Guess what? You have. They're everywhere. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. It's a good line, but uh, what he didn't know is that it's already happened. What's the cause, though? In the movies, it's always uh, seems to be science goo or radiation or voodoo or maybe a, a virus accidentally created in a lab somewhere. Paul actually gives us the answer in verses 1 and 2. He says, dead in your transgressions and sins, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The cause, apparently, of our undeath is our own refusal to do what's right and to obey God. That's what transgressions and sins means. Inability to do what's right and unwillingness to follow God. We are, in Paul's words, following the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That spirit is not the Holy Spirit. The spirit he's talking about, who we're following, who we were following, would be our old enemy, Satan, who also sees us as dead men and women and wants to keep it that way. In fact, he'd be just as happy if we never realized it. It is a virus. The cause is a virus created in the lab of Eden. Romans 5.12 
says, sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people, because all sinned. Adam was patient zero, the first infected person. And the virus has been a pandemic on the earth ever since. We caused the plague. There's another zombie parallel in verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Zombies are notably simple creatures. They mostly just want to eat you. That's the only reason they walk around, basically, is so they can eat people. Uh, It's a very, very high priority for them. They don't really care why. Uh, It doesn't make a lot of sense for zombies to eat. It doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't nourish them. I do have a point here. I'm not just going on about zombies. Wait for it. They'll keep doing it anyway. They'll just keep consuming. They'll leave off eating one victim to attack the next one. They always crave more, and enough is never enough. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you ever heard of anybody who, uh, who ever said, I've made my million dollars, now I'm just going to stop. I'm done. Don't need any more. Not even going to try for two million. A million's good enough for me. Never, you've never heard that. Enough is never enough. The root cause of all addiction is a zombie thought process. One more cigarette, one more drink, one more woman, and I'll be happy. J.D. Rockefeller was tremendously wealthy. He was famously wealthy. You talk about famous rich people, people think of J.D. Rockefeller. He was richer than most of us would know what to do with. When a reporter asked him, how much money is enough money? You heard this? Do you know what he said? Just a little bit more. That's zombie thinking. We never really get over it. You've never met a person, maybe one person. Aside from one, you've never met a person, spiritually alive or spiritually dead, who was not addicted to something. Power, security, the opinions of others. If you can't think of something for yourself, pray about it. There's something. So, what's the answer to this? I mean, this is all very negative. If the whole world and everyone in it is infected, what's the solution? Now, look at the end of verse 3. It'll give us a clue to this. We were, by nature, deserving of wrath. That means, by our basic nature, in our character, all we were really good for was to be picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Waste material, just to be disposed of. Zombie movie fans know this. You can fight the good fight. People in in those movies always are fighting the good fight, trying to survive trying to make a better life, and trying mostly not to get eaten. And that's great. That's good. I mean, fighting the good fight is good. But it doesn't cure the infection. There is nothing to do about it except shoot the victims in a zombie movie. It's a mercy to shoot the victims. But look at verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. There is a cure. There is a reason that Paul said, 
you were dead. You know what that cure is? I love this. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Doctors treating Ebola, especially in West Africa, are risking their lives every day. They go anyway, sometimes at great expense, sometimes against the wishes of their hospitals, but they go. Hundreds of healthcare workers have contracted the disease themselves. Half of those die. That's real life. Now picture a movie about this with an heroic doctor in it. Safe and uninfected in a, in a safe, modern country where the, the infection hasn't spread, he travels to Liberia to, uh, to care for the dying victims. But there's a plot twist. This doctor, our protagonist, is the only person in the world with a genetic immunity to the deadly disease. He has the cure. It's himself. And all he has to do to save the world is to infect himself. It's going to kill him. It has to. He knows that. That's why he came. The disease has to run its course in his body so that when he comes back from the dead, he can give the world the cure, an untainted blood sample. That's a hero to look up to. Let's look again at our text at the end of verse 5. It says, It is by grace you have been saved. Now, Paul brings this up because it's something we need to be reminded of. We did not and we cannot cure ourselves. We can't earn it because it was a gift to the world. You don't earn a gift. You can fight the good fight. And in its way, fighting the good fight is a good thing. It's important, but it's not the cure. Doing your best to make the world a better place for zombies, trying to be the best zombie you can be, that's very common thinking. But in the end, you are either dead or you are cured. There's no middle ground and there's no medal for first runner-up. Okay, this is all very interesting to talk about, but... So what, Glenn? What, what do we do about this? How do we respond to this? There are two answers. And the first is for the infected. If it strikes a chord in you, if it sounds right that the world is dead and you with it, I want to tell you there is life for you. All you have to do is to accept the cure. It's out there. And there is no other cure than the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't believe any quack doctor who tells you otherwise. People who have already received the cure are authorized by the great physician to distribute that cure. In fact, it's our marching orders. If you want that and you don't have that, talk to me. Talk to Shane. Talk to a Christian friend you trust. Find out about it. I also have a response for you who are already alive in Jesus Christ. Wake up, sleeper. 
rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Do you know that you used to live a zombie life? Do you live as though having the cure, you can stop doing those zombie things and start doing real live person things? The word for that is repent. It's not a dirty word. It sounds mean these days because we've misused it. It's a cure word. It's how to be healthy. Your heavenly father wants to brag about you for generations to come. Stop trying to be a better zombie. You are God's masterpiece created to do good works. Do good works because you've been given life. Forgive someone you've been holding out on. Volunteer for something that you know is going to take more time and energy than you feel like giving. Give attention to someone unlovable, maybe someone you don't like very much. Most importantly, tell people about the cure. Don't just be alive. Get in on the great physician's health and wellness plan. Pray together. God, in the name of your son, Jesus, who came and lived and died and rose again for us, we thank you for making us alive, for giving us good work to do, for sharing yourself with us. Lord, I do pray for any of us sitting here who may have not, if shared your life or been given good work to do yet, would you change that? Apply the cure. Enable them to accept it by your grace. Thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing.